The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, watch out for that guy on the unicycle and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 279 with guest Ken Getz, recorded live Tuesday, September 25th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter, and now bringing world-class expert-led training in C-Sharp, ASP.NET, VB.NET, SharePoint, BizTalk, TeamSystem, and Workflow Foundation on-site to your development team. Details online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says what Ken wants, who writes this stuff? Your host, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl Franklin. I'm here with Richard. Hey, Richard Campbell. Hey, sir. I am glad to be home for a whole two weeks. Yeah, I'm still getting over the jet lag, but... Man, good to be home. And I came home to 10, count them, 10 one terabyte hard drives. Now, now that's just wrong. <laughs> my two terabyte array is full and I need to upgrade. So I told my local supplier, get me some of those new Seagate Barracuda one terabyte drives. And he got me 10 of them. Okay, so where are you going to put 10 one terabyte hard drives? I got a six drive array and a four drive array coming together. Okay. So Are these NAS I devices? I everything up from the old array onto the one terabyte drives. Now I'm going to rebuild the array today. So are these in a machine or is this a NAS device? All in a machine. Nice. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Richard, let's just get started with Better No Framework, shall we? Excellent. And this week, Richard, uh, I'm going to read an email message about isolated storage, which oh, was yes. last well, week. You stirred up a lot of uh, discussion around isolated storage. Yeah, apparently I missed uh, the most important thing, which is the fact that uh, it's you can write and read and write files to disk in a partial trust environment. So let right. me read this uh, from Christopher Loaf. Hi, Carl and Richard. 
First of all, I have to say that you're doing a fabulous job. I'm enjoying your show during workouts and during my travel to and from work. You keep me enlightened, and once in a while you give me a big laugh. Thank you. It's been some time now uh, when I thought to myself, I have to write them and give them a comment on that thing, but I've kept it for myself those times. This time I couldn't hold back. In the Better Know a Framework part of Show 278, you're mentioning the isolated storage namespace. I believe that you missed the greatest point about these classes, and that is that it allows you to write and read files to disk in a partial trust environment. Your code only has to be granted the isolated storage file permission permission. And furthermore, you can define the scope of your storage. That is, if you want it accessible on a per-user, per-application, domain, or assembly basis, see the isolated storage scope enumeration for all available options. And here's the key. Isolated storage is the way to go if you're building click-once applications and want to be sure that your application will be able to write those files to disk. Keep up the good work. Best regards. Christopher Loaf from Sweden. That's it, man. Click-once. Yeah, you know? interesting point. I didn't even think about click once. Um, I've done click once applications, and I just happened to not have needed to write files, you know, locally um, in a partial trust situation. And the whole issue here is that the context that click once runs in is limited trust. Well, yeah, it can be sure. So, uh, P.S., you don't have to reverse engineer the Windows code to figure out the isolated storage pass. Just tech- check out this page at MSTN. And uh, um, he points us to a URL, which I will put on the website. Right. So there you go. That's cool. our that's our better know framework for this week. Good stuff. Speaking of commuting with .NET Rocks, I have an email. Oh, this isn't the one that I read in Bulgaria, was it? At dinner that night? Uh, no, that's another one. Oh, uh, uh, you're not going to read that one? Not this time, but I will read it <laughs> next time. Next I'm week. trying to build up the emotional fortitude to read that email. All right. Thursday's email is going to be a whopper. Let okay, me just put it that yes. way. Yes. But uh, Tim Hewer wrote us an email. Oh, right. Yeah. And he, Tim Hewer works for Microsoft. Good friend of the show. You know, he's listened for a long time, been a big supporter. Uh, and just sort of dashed off a note to us saying, uh, I'm a happy man lately. Because of Silverlight, the Diamondbacks winning the NL West, or me getting a new laptop? No, but those help. <laughs> Mostly because I've got .NET Rocks in the dash of my car. Awesome. I've struggled with getting caught up on podcasts because I didn't have a good workflow to listen to them. Spot hmm. the geek. Yeah, really. A, a workflow for listening. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. Get a life. On my laptop, I found myself always doing something else. At home, my kids were always needing my attention. In the shower, well, let's not go there. <laughs> Tim's badly behaved. <laughs> ah, but in my car, yes, on the magical one and a half hour commute, twice daily, I had the time. But alas, not the ideal setup. FM radio transmitter, sucked. Hmm. Tape cassette adapter, ah, there's enough wires already. Headphones, can't miss that emergency vehicle, but I've completed my setup, and now I have .NET Rocks in my dash. It cost me some coin, but I did it, and it is a wonderful site. And he included in the email a screen, a photograph of the dash of his car, obviously a BMW, I might point out, saying .NET Rocks right in the dash. Yeah, he's got the LCD uh, or the LED printout there. Right. Yeah. And then he uh, wrapped up with, uh, keep the great contents coming, guys. I'm refreshed now and finally listening and getting caught up to date. Tim, P.S. You can see my tribulations at my blog, and the blog is timhewer.com. So that's T-I-M. 
H-E-U-E-R.com. And we'll have to provide a direct link to that article so people you can bet. see the photo. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Yep. You nut. Awesome. Uh, the announcements this week, um, of course, we've got Dev Connections coming up here. Woohoo! Yep. Looking forward to it. We've got a lot going on. We've got Tech and Ed. I, by the way, I've been asked to do a couple of presentations in the ASP.NET track at Dev Connections in Las Vegas. That's great. Yeah, so I'm going to be talking about scaling. Paul Litwin finally came around, did he? He, You know what? He had a cancellation and needed somebody to fill in. Ah, he had a cancellation. Okay. <laughs> Could you be any more sarcastic? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so well, that's good. Uh, after Dev Connections, hey Richard, when is uh, Dev Teach in Vancouver? Dev Teach is the last week of November, so that's actually the week after Thanksgiving, U.S. Thanksgiving. Yeah, as opposed to this past weekend, which was Canadian Thanksgiving. Just in case anybody cares. Just in case anybody cares. So that is uh, November twenty sixth, twenty nine. Cool. And besides Dev Teach, there's also Tech Ed Barcelona, which is two weeks. We're not going to be at the first week because we're both in Las Vegas for Dev Connections. But the second week, which is the IT Forum week, Greg Hughes and I are going to be there the whole time. And, of course, uh, if you're looking to do the New York City tour, just, you know, what are you waiting for? Just pick up the phone and, and call Infusion or uh, check out the uh, blog post that we did about this. You can go to New York City, live in an apartment in Manhattan rent-free for a year. They'll move you. They'll pay you a nice salary. And... On top of that, it's a great company to work for and some really cool people down there. And they've got a lot of .NET Rocks listeners now working for them, a whole handful. They just keep they just keep migrating to New York. It's great. Go hang with your peers. That's it. So you can read about that at shrinkster.com slash KH6. And before we get to uh, Mr. Getz here, he's waiting patiently on the line, uh, let's uh, get to the contest this week. This week's question is, what is the only browser-based code technology that Jack Harrington does not work with? And the answer, Java. Oh, yes. Yeah. He did everything else, though. Yep. Just about everything else. So uh, almost everybody who submitted it this week got this one right, which is good. I don't have to pick on anybody. Cool. And uh, you're going to – the winner – yeah, the winner. That'd be a good idea. Yeah, let's do the winner. The winner is Brian Pysik. And I hope I got that right from Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Yeah. Congratulations, Brian. Golf club. Yeah. Win yourself a Tom Bin brain bag. That's right. He's got a brain bag coming on the way. And he's going in the pool, of course. October 30th, we're going to pick from all the weekly winners. And two of those people will win a new 24 inch LCD monitor from Dell. Awesome. Awesome. So that's the contest that we're doing, uh, of course, the Barcelona Tech Ed Sweepstakes, or the Tech Ed Barcelona Sweepstakes, I should say, sponsored by Microsoft Europe. Hey, Richard, guess what? What? Our guest is Ken Getz, again. Uh, well, it's only been a couple of years. Yeah, Ken Getz is a senior consultant with MCW Technologies and splits his time between programming, writing, and training. He specializes in tools and applications written in Visual Studio.net and Visual Basic. Ken has had a long relationship with application developers training company, AppDev, uh, AppDev.com, and has been training and writing courseware for AppDev for almost 10 years, probably more like 12 years now. <laughs> Ken writes for MSDN Magazine, MSD Online. You can see him at Dev Connections. He speaks all over the world. Ken Getz, how are you, sir? Great. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing all right. You know, um, on the way over here, I stopped and got gas. And then, of course, I, I heard this sound at the gas pump. And 
I, I went inside the mobile station and I found the noise. It was a pint of Ben and Jerry's New York Super Fudge Chunk calling my name. <laughs> so I, uh, so, so I got that and I, and I actually brought a spoon with me too because you know you can't get a spoon in a convenience store. But then I immediately spilled it on my T-shirt. So I'm I'm doing this show with the brown badge of courage on my collarbone. No comment whatsoever. I thought I'd tell you that. <laughs> so I, I find myself in a lovely town place suites in San Jose, California. I am taking a week off from real work and playing the piano this week. Uh, hey, me you. too. You, you too. Me too. I just got a piano. You did. Well, I, I, you did. Yeah. I am uh, playing in the orchestra pit for a musical being done here by a friend, and I haven't done this in a long time. Oh, well, you're playing, and I'm just noodling. Yeah, you're I'm actually, actually playing it. Playing performances at night and all that kind of stuff. That's so, wonderful. Um, it's kind of a nice change from programming. Sitting there, just reading the music and following along. Certainly is. Well, no, you know, I'm, you know, no music notation is like source code in a way. I I firmly believe that playing the piano is very similar to typing on the keyboard. But what the heck? It's true. True. So so here I am in this hotel, and all I brought was a, a, a tablet PC, my ThinkPad tablet PC, which I love, but. I didn't bring the bass with the DVD player in it. Dude, and this I is ridiculous, promised- man. I've, I'm using a tablet PC right now, and I was just playing the piano. I mean, pretty soon you're going to tell me you're a VB programmer, and that would just be too much for me to handle. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, so my partner, Brian Randall, sends me a DVD that he wants me to do some editing on a lab he'd written, and I knew he was going to do it. I just forgot to bring the, the bass with me. So I go down to the lobby of the hotel where they have a PC, and I try to copy the stuff onto a, my laptop, onto a USB drive. And it's locked down so tight, I can't even copy files onto my own drive, much less theirs. <laughs> so I then go to the front desk and say, may I use your computer just to copy these files from here uh, to here? Uh, and they look at me like I have stepped out of a, of a, airplane, of a, of a spaceship from Mars. <laughs> I say, just let me sit down. They won't let, me, they won't let me touch their computer. And she says, well, I'll do it. And so she sits down, and 20 minutes later, she calls out from the back room, it can't read your DVD, it must be broken. Uh, So I have to wander off to Fry's, where there is one locally right around the corner. More likely their DVD player was bought during the Kennedy administration. Or or she's just not computer literate. Yeah. And uh, I stood there at Fry's and attempted to copy the stuff on one of their computers onto my USB hard drive, but their friendly sales staff kicked me out. So here we are. <laughs> you think you're here in Silicon Valley. Somebody's got to have a computer. Anyway, oh, so, uh, so what's our topic of the day? Yeah, I guess we're going to talk about Visto, Visual Studio Tools for Office. It's been a while since we visited that topic, and you're just the guy for it. Yeah, it seemed to have spent a lot of time with it since its initial release back for Visual Studio 2003. These folks have just done... An amazing job. I mean, I spent how many years Richard and I began in the same sort of place, right? And probably, probably Carl too, writing VBA code years yeah. and years ago. And yeah. VBA at this point is a painful, and b still used by thousands and hundreds of thousands of developers. Yeah. And so you just sort of want to let them move into the managed code world. So you mean to tell me if I fire up Word 2007 and I hit Alt F11? It still does. Yeah. It still pulls up the code window. It still does. It brings up the macro editor for creating uh, customizations for Visual Studio. Oh man! 
but it's managed code in Visual Studio. It's not VBA. Right. So it, it's a habit I still fall into myself. I press Alt F11 sometimes in Visual Studio. That's not the keystroke. Alt F7 does it for you, or F7, mm. or one of those things. Mm. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we have managed code that works with Office, and it started out in 2003, I guess, with a version which was an, a nice effort. Wasn't it a GUI-free version? Yes, there was. it was only code, and so you had to sort of imagine what it was going to look like in the product until you pressed F5. But they did a great job of letting you press F5. It would load up Word or Excel. You could single-step through your code, and it was fun. Well, so what, what is the current state of Visual Studio Tools for Office? When was the last time they had a, an update, and you know what, what's new? Well, I, I guess no one really wants to hear the whole history. But well, it was 2003, and then it was 2005, and now 2007? Well, no. There was 2005, which had a UI, yeah. but it could, it could only create document customization. So document level, like each document would have its own customization, and it cost money. Right, you had to buy it. You had to buy it. And then in 2005, Second Edition came out, and it only does add-ins, which I, from my perspective is better anyway, and it's free. Okay. So anybody can download Visual Studio Tools for Office. Visual Studio 2005, Tools for Office 2nd Edition. Oh, boy. The actual name is, in case you care, I think Visual Studio 2005, Tools for Office 2nd Edition for the Microsoft Office 2007, 2003 system or something You've like that. You've got to be name. kidding me. Oh, no, that's going for the longest name yet. It's something like that. And then for Visual Studio 2008, they've made incredible strides, and they have a nicely integrated, right there in Visual Studio, every single person who's got Visual Studio Professional 2008 gets their templates and their code and their runtime. Really? And it's there. So I think they'll finally hit critical mass with this fourth version. So, yeah, Visto just becomes part of Studio as of 2008. That's right. Now, now and, if you don't have Office installed, let alone the Studio tools for Office, the, are, you, are you just not going to see those templates? If you don't have Office installed, you won't see the templates. Yeah. But you don't need anything besides Office and Visual Studio. Got it. So Yeah, that's important, actually. And Visual Studio 2008 adds support for, like, creating add-ins for InfoPath, for Visio, for, for creating workflows for SharePoint. SharePoint, right. And then creating add-ins and documents for Word and Excel. The only thing they've missed and continue to not be able to get is access. Access? For some reason, and, and uh, you know, in the beta for SE, the, the previous version, they had access support in there. Now, what do you mean by that? Uh, you don't mean just accessing the MDBs or databases because no, no, we can you do, do that. that. From, any, from anywhere. Just you mean the, like the API. reports? But this would be creating an, a, a managed add-in for access. Oh, or oh. creating managed code to replace the VBA code in an access application. I see. Which you can do if you just create a COM add-in, a sh normal shared COM add-in in managed code, but it's a pain. And for Word and Excel, it's incredibly easy. So... Customizing huh. the ribbon, they made a nice... I don't know if you've seen this thing. The ribbon designer in Visual Studio 2008. I haven't seen anybody it. Anybody can customize the ribbon. You try, you try doing that without the tool. It's very hard. And what do you mean by customize? You mean like add, add your own tabs to the ribbon kind of thing? Yep. Now, here's the problem. What if you want to remove a tab? What do you do? I'm asking that question rhetorically. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it should be hard. Well, using their designer, you can't. But if you if you want, you can always create standard XML customizations as you would have before Visual Studio 2008, and that lets you do anything. 
You can remove tabs, add things, repurpose existing ones. If you want to, you could have the open button, close the current document, or whatever you want to have it do. Ooh, April Fool's Day jokes. <laughs> yeah. But Visual Studio 2008 makes that all pretty straightforward and simple. Hey, this is Carl. I just want to take a minute out of the show to tell you about Telerik Q2 2000 Tools Update, which can be summed up this way. Blazing fast performance for ASP.NET, WPF-like visual effects for Windows Forms, and codeless reporting. The AJAX-based content editor is now 76% faster and much more intuitive. The Grid also received a performance boost, plus PDF export, frozen columns, and they've even added a new awesome scheduling component. What I find even more intriguing is Telerik's Windows Form Suite. It's unbelievable that it offers WPF-like visual effects like scaling, rotation, object motion, transparencies, and so on without WPF. As a result, you could have grids, tree views, ribbons, and more with a previously impossible level of interactivity and appeal. Telerik has recently added cab support, which makes the component set a perfect fit for large enterprise applications. Lastly, with Telerik reporting, you can create advanced business reports in Windows, Web, or PDF format using pretty much design time only. Wizards, expression builders, and converters help you with the design, styling, and integration. You'll also be amazed to see some unique features, like CSS-like styling and conditional formatting. See what all the fuss is about. Download a trial at Telerik.com, and don't forget to thank them for sponsoring .NET Rocks. Now, it seems to me, Richard, we've probably done four or five different shows since we started .NET Rocks on Visual Studio Tools for Office, or whatever the name du jour was. And this time, Ken, I think I want to ask questions a little bit differently because I think we're beyond the whole how does it work and, you know, what's the UI experience like. Let's, let me ask you this. You've, you've obviously done a lot of work with this tool and written a lot of code. What are some of the absolutely coolest demos or, or even programs that you've written using Visto that you could share with us? Well, you know, I tend to write examples more than applications. But the fact is that things that were incredibly hard to do are now very easy. Things like reacting to events in Word or Excel or, or Outlook are now really easy because you can just hook them up and manage code. You know what is really cool? One thing I, my jaw dropped when I saw that you how easy it is to create an Outlook form region using this newest version of Visto. Huh. You know Outlook Forms, the designer from hell? Yeah. Right. I mean, Outlook, I've always thought the Outlook, not Access, was the red-headed stepchild of Office. But not only just from a product point of view, but from a development point of view, it was just arduous. And it was, because remember, when Outlook first came out, they didn't even support VBA. Right. They only had scripting. Then they added VBA support, but only in a sort of halfway sort of way. Well, it seemed like the object model just wasn't all there. And they still keep trying to fix that object model. <laughs> Have you ever had Randy Byrne on? No. Randy Byrne was a person like us out in the real world. He, he focused on Outlook. And then they took him on to the Outlook team to manage the object model stuff on Outlook. And this guy knows every single thing about that object model. And he's the only one. 
Huh. No, there's others, but, you know, <laughs> Sue Mosher knows a lot, too, but Randy is the guy. So, yes, huh. they've been working on it. Yes, it's still problematic, but Visual Studio Tools for Office makes it so much better. So you want to create a form and outlook. You don't like their forms. You want to make your own. Right. You could die before Visual Studio 2008 doing it. <laughs> With InfoPath and SharePoint and all of these things in Visual Studio, what do you use? I mean, because I don't run Exchange, but I guess that's the main application of Outlook Forms is talking to Exchange? Not necessarily. You can have Outlook-hosted forms, too. For what? Like, for, say, for the example, the canonical example is, is adding a form region to the bottom of every email message you write. And so at the, in that form, you might pull data from some database somewhere, like Northwind data. So you choose a customer and choose an order for that customer, click a button, and it inserts into your email message a formatted message to that customer about that order. So it's just part of the email form that you use for submitting an email message. So it's more like a report than a fill-in form. Right. Well, when you type any place you type email, you could have code automate that process for you. I see. And then you could go in and modify it because it's just an email, you know, designer. I see. So it makes it really easy to add your own data to Outlook for whatever or, purpose. Yeah. Like contacts, maybe on your con when you when you enter a contact now, doesn't it drive you nuts that there's no drop down list of every company of every person you already have in your contact list? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's that mechanism where it sort of remembers the email addresses I've recently touched or email I've recently received. But often I I know that guy's in my contact list, but he doesn't come up. That's an issue I was thinking about when I'm entering a new contact, and that new contact works at Microsoft. I right. have 75 contacts from Microsoft. Of course. Why do I have to look up Microsoft's address and main phone number when I could just have a drop-down list of all the companies of all my contacts, choose it, and it fills that stuff in. Right, of course. And an Outlook form region could add that to your existing contact template. Def I mean, definitely a, a very programmable mail tool with, yes. with all the issues that it may have. If, right. if only it handled my I – mean, I've, I've complained so many places in public about this, but you set up an all-day appointment – and then you change your time zone. Yeah, don't so all of a sudden, your that. appointment goes from 3 a.m. to 3 a.m. It right. takes two days. And then sometimes I change the time zone back, and Outlook forgets which day of the two it was supposed to be on. Yeah. So I have lost birth dates to people that way. I'm off by a day. I have no idea how it happens. So let's uh, have a call-in show. It's uh, Outlook Bitching Hour. Just call right in, 1-800-BITCH-BITCH-BITCH. I think we should call it, you should call it, Why I Hate Outlook. <laughs> why I love to hate Outlook. It's kind of like there's a website about people that love to hate fries and hate to love or whatever. Whatever. Yeah. You have to get, you, you on the East Coast don't know about fries electronics. Those are some Oh yeah, I've Coast. been there. I've been to Las been Vegas, man. I know. <laughs> you okay. went to the one in Atlanta, the furthest That's east right. fries. That was the that it's the Walmart of electronics stores basically. The okay. super Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> but back to our topic here. Yes, yes. So another cool feature they added in this version, before this version, well, let's think back a second. So I hand you a floppy, say, and it's got code on it. What, what's There's a floppy? Remember a floppy did, or a CD. I hand you a oh, USB oh, oh, key. Oh, okay. All right. I <laughs> hand you, you're not that, I mean, you're, you're pretty old, Carl. You're not as old as me. Uh, you know, not as just, old as Richard, but you're pretty old. You remember floppy. It's just been a while. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, USB key full of code. Yeah, and I get plug it. it in. I think I understand. And even under Vista, that code just runs. 
because the normal default uh, policy allow it allows normal code on any device you plug in to run. That's closing down over time, but it does. So you plug in anything in, it can can uh, format your hard drive. You know, the only time I use a floppy now is when I'm installing like RAID drives. That's it. And, and I think the only reason that it asks for floppies is because everybody's too scared to touch the Windows installer code and update it to accept to look for CDs. I'm pretty sure in visual in, in Windows Server 2008 they're not going to ask for a floppy. You got to hope. For, pretty sure, I mean, come on, is, guys. Come on. Floppies? Jeez. It's the only time it, I ever need a floppy. Well, that's why I have an external USB floppy just for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, my point was All right, sorry. My point was that all code runs. And so from the very beginning, Visto developers made sure that if I hand you a Visto application, it won't run. And people said, geez, how am I supposed to run this thing? Well, that's the point, because if it ran, imagine some evil person hands you an Excel spreadsheet, yeah. you load the Excel spreadsheet, and as it loads, it formats your hard drive. Right, yeah. So you always had to explicitly grant permission to allow these things to run. But they had no concept of how to deploy these things, so you had to push a policy out to every machine. Right. It was a nightmare. Yep. In this version, they support click once. Ah, good. So it's all manifest-based, so it's really easy. Well, that makes sense. Well, it made sense two years ago, but they didn't do it. In the previous version, they were putting the assemblies out on a shared directory or something, but I guess you had to, like you said, email a policy. You know, this is when, one thing Billy Hollis was on the show once, and he said, yeah, yeah, don't tell anybody, but I just email the policies. I tell them, just run it, go save, save it and run it. That's the problem is, like, you know. <laughs> good accent. How do you push a policy out if people aren't running as administrator? Right. That's right. It's a problem. You can't install the policy. Right. Yeah, we're back to that whole, I have to be an administrator to do anything. Yeah. yeah. So using ClickOnce makes the whole thing a lot smoother. And again, another reason why this thing might actually finally catch on. Yeah. But the goal is, do you want to write VBA code anymore? I really, really don't. No. Really I really don't. never did. Want oh, to? Well, I know I did, and I'm pretty sure Richard did at some point too. Oh, I did. The only I had some experience with VBA, but it was more like turn on the recorder, do some stuff, and then look at the code, paste it into VB, and you know modify it and run it. Well, that's that's what the intended use was. Yeah. But a lot of people used the macro recorder and just took the code and assumed that was perfect and used it, mm. and it never was. It was always bad code. Mm. The A for effort, though. I mean, a, yeah, they, they, it I mean, got you started. They, they, they got it working. Yep. Ever write your own macro recorder? It's no fun. No, it isn't. So, but Visto solves all those problems by allowing you to write managed code rather well, than VBA. The, the click once thing is really, really huge because, yeah, that that solves a whole bunch of problems with accessibility. Um, what else, what other things can we talk about in terms of features of Visto? I mean, you can use Excel as as a UI base. You can use Word as a UI base. PowerPoint. But, is there any point in talking about PowerPoint with Vista? Sure, sure. I, I mean, imagine this scenario. Uh, I've actually needed this before. So every time I want to print my PowerPoint slides for a presentation, I want to print them out, and I want to print them out so they're black and white, two-up, handout mode. And every time i got to go through the 17 steps to make that happen. <laughs> All right. Why not have an sure. add-in? You click a button on the ribbon, and it does all that work for you. Yeah. Or have a custom task pane that allows you to, oh, read a folder from your hard drive, getting a list of 
files and then create a PowerPoint slide. Who knows what? But programmatically generate PowerPoint slides. Yeah. I've I've often thought about going the other way where I would, I'm sure I've seen this somewhere where somebody put an interface into PowerPoint so that wireless remotes could communicate with it. They did a voting system. You know, those sorts of things, interfacing PowerPoint to me more interactive during a presentation. Yes, oh, we've seen that. It must have been at some conference, Richard, because I remember the exact same thing. Yeah. Sounds I mean, like something Mark Miller would do. Oh, absolutely. I also have a memory of the Microsoft Barney being involved. This is probably, yes, and this is probably five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, which huh. horrifies me, actually, that I can even think of that, but... So I, there let's are face it, PowerPoint's PowerPoint. just not one we're going to do a lot of programming with. Yeah. Being able to create your own custom task panes, which are just user controls as far, you know, in WinForms user controls. Right. That, that's all they are. Now, InfoPath is really looking nice these days. Yeah. And the, one of the biggest reasons is that it's now hosted in the browser as opposed to, you know, having to run that InfoPath little crappy applet. Kind and the of users thing. don't have to have InfoPath installed. Right. So what, what people do is use InfoPath as a front end for SharePoint. Exactly. And so being able, and since SharePoint can host managed code, there you are. There you are. And combining that with being able to create SharePoint workflows with InfoPath front ends using Visual Studio 2008, you got a winner. I learned about this uh, by doing a, a DVD with Sahil Malik. On, on SharePoint. I learned all about that. Very cool stuff. Yeah, you know, it's funny that the synthesis of InfoPath and SharePoint reminds me of, it's sort of a webified version of what Access used to be. Hmm. You know, back... If Access had ever moved onto the web for real. Yeah. Or ever moved beyond two, <laughs> two simultaneous <laughs> users. <laughs> the problem is, let's, let, let's just take a moment. Can we have a moment, please? Let's have a moment. Is this a funeral for Access? Okay, I'm ready. Access was designed really as a list manager. Right. And it was never meant for 24-7 enterprise applications. But since there was no other real development tool, I mean, at the time Access came out, we were looking at a VB2. Right. And there was no data support in VB2. No. So people took Access and made it do things it shouldn't have done, and then the team saw people doing that, and they kept adding on more and more enterprise-attempting features, and it just was never meant. They were tacking on things it was never meant to do. But you know what, though? There were databases out there that could handle more than two simultaneous users. But there was no development there, tools for them. There weren't, but there were databases out there, and that's where Access was, you know, Paradox, DataEase. Um, all of that stuff was there, and it was working great. And, you know, it was DOS-based. There was no right. Windows. Well, the, the, the Access just happened to get there right at the moment when it was the only Windows-based, development-oriented database tool. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the thing that Access had that made it unseatable reports. was its reporting tool. And, you know, they haven't changed it much since until this last version. Really? Finally, in 2007, they updated the report engine. And I always found oh. it fascinating that SharePoint could import access reports, and nothing else ever could. No, there was that, that uh, what was that uh, report tool, Active Reports? ActiveReports.net. Oh, yeah, it right. Did. Active Reports can do it, too. And <laughs> they actually attempt to generate replacement for the VBA code. Yeah. Yeah, they do a good so job. They, they guys, those, those folks were smart. Yeah. 
So I'm, I don't want to support Access because, I mean, I, I loved Access, and it, it certainly made me a lot of money. Yeah, but, it kept you fed, didn't it? I seem to recall yeah. a ridiculously large set of books yeah, on yeah, Access. Yeah. And uh, they're still selling. But <laughs> it, as, as a development platform, it has never, never, never caught, never made it. So, so my, my point is Carl's derision of Access is very common among Visual Basic developers of the time because it couldn't do enterprise applications, but my answer, it was never intended for that. Well, you know, it couldn't do workgroup applications either. It couldn't do... I'm we sorry, had Carl, problem. you are wrong. No, it's not true. I mean, we definitely, at a workgroup level, it functioned. We got to be clear about which version, all right? I'm talking about when Windows 95 was just coming out. This is when we were using Access, and I well, can't Access remember. 95, Access 95 was the product that shouldn't have been. Right. <laughs> so this with this is the product I'm talking about where we were trying to do, uh, you know, just network-based kind of uh, uh, multiple user access over LAN. And, of course, not having any clue that the entire database was coming over the wire and then being rewritten and stomping on each other. So, you know, we had in the application when it started up, we would do a compact and repair constantly just because it was constantly getting whacked. Because people would shut down access without closing the database, and that would set the bit in the header which said this database is corrupt. Yeah. It got better. It got better, but, you know. That, yeah. Those are the days where that's the pain I'm talking about. But, you know, old pain is a bad thing, and I'm not bitter. No, I just moved on to SQL Server and had a good time. That's right. But, He's I all mean, better until now. Recently was, we've gotten way off topic here, but until recently, was there any client-side small database engine you could just install with your application without affecting, without requiring them to be administrator, without installing SQL Server or a service? There wasn't until recently, besides Access. Yeah. Now with no, you're SQL right. Anywhere or you're whatever right. they're calling it, SQL Mobile, I can't remember what you're they're right. calling it right now. It's very easy for us to sit here in the future and look back at the past and go, how dumb was that? Well, yeah. I thought they did a great job with Access. It just got put into places it shouldn't have been put. You're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, Lord, I apologize. <laughs> yes, you should apologize. <laughs> Access wasn't bad. Its users were bad. I am fascinated by the possibilities of programming against Visio, just because of that whole, I got a nice blank grid here, and I drop things on and connect them together. Like, that's a great visualization in so many different ways. The prospect that I could then codify that in some way is fascinating to me. Well, you know, Visio was among the, I mean, it was the very first outside product to license VBA, or one of the first to license VBA from Microsoft. So they've been programmable for probably 10 years now or more. Right, and it got them bought for their trouble. Yep, and the only problem is, have you investigated their object model? No. It's not for humans. No, oh, it's just, they, them and Outlook go for beers, right? Oh, Outlook, you can begin to guess at. <laughs> you know, because how do you learn an object model? You go to the object browser, yeah, or you use IntelliSense, and you hope for the best. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys, did Carl, do you use Visio on a daily basis? Uh, no, I don't. I, I didn't even know it still existed. Per, I thought it was one of those apps that just went away. This is the sound of my head hitting my desk. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Oh, man. I mean, I no, use Visio because we're constantly trying to describe uh, diagrams to each other, whether it be floor plans for offices or data centers or the flow diagram of a network or any of these things. It's just a great tool for that. 
As you live in Visual Studio, there are people who live their lives in Visio. Really? Tell me about it, because I'm interested, honestly. Seriously. People that program Visio for a living, because it's so incredibly powerful. Well, so, all right, how? How what? Educate me. How, you know, like, okay, you can draw pictures, but what can you do with it? You can automate those pictures. You can animate those images. They're not pictures. They're diagrams. I I understand. So So, one of the classic ones I remember from ages ago, totally VBA-driven, was laying out floor plans uh, of cubicles, desks, and so forth. mm -hmm. And once you got it all laid out, hitting a button, and it spits out an inventory of what you need to buy to build that office. Hmm. And people use that for that still. I went and bought closet, you know, that build-your-own-closet stuff. And that's exactly what it did. They dragged on the Visio, pressed a button, and out popped a list of what I had to buy. Hey, that's pretty cool. It was closet stuff, not office stuff, but same concept. Right. That is pretty cool. I'm getting some ideas, actually. But the object model, and because, because when you go to Outlook, you know you're talking about, well, you wouldn't know they're called inspectors, but you know you're looking at a designer for an email or a contact. And within each inspector, like an email, there's a to and a from and a body, and those things are obvious. Honestly, you go to, to Visio's object model. Who the heck? It could be anything. Honestly, you know, I always thought of Visio as something that would um, generate flowcharts for software, and that's about it. I mean, I never really saw any, you know, and also BizTalk. So you used the Visio part that came with Visual Studio, which yeah. did design flowcharts for software. Yeah, and that's really all the exposure I had to Visio. Well, you give look at some of the templates they have. It's pretty incredible how much how many templates there are for designing diagrams and visions. Wow, I've been educated. Thank you. And uh, I was going somewhere. Else. Oh, oh. So when I moved out to the woods recently last year, the guy next door is a rocket scientist, a retired rocket scientist. <laughs> That's just got to lead to so many dinner party jokes. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, oh, come on, you can do that. It's not like it's rocket science or something. <laughs> so he's, in, his, in his retirement, he's decided to build a locomotive. So he's, from scratch, building a locomotive. Steam? Steam locomotive, three-quarter size. Oh, my Lord. For the Nevada <laughs> County Railroad Museum. I was going to, I hope you weren't going to say for his backyard. <laughs> no. I wish. That'd be fun. I wouldn't have he's believed got, it. He's got 18 acres. He could have plenty of room. But um, <laughs> So he's building this thing from scratch, and he has to do the technical diagrams, you know, the, the diagrams, the blueprints and stuff. And so does he use Visio? Does he use AutoCAD? No, he is the only human on Earth who has mastered Microsoft Paint. Paint? Paint. Gotta be kidding me. He's drawing incredibly detailed diagrams using Microsoft Paint. Paint? Doesn't he know? <laughs> He's a I, I rocket said, scientist for I said, I'll crying out loud. I'll give you a copy of Visio. I'll give you Visio. He says, no, no, I've tried it. I like this. <laughs> you should see this guy go. It's, it is phenomenal. You know, in Visio, if you want a scale drawing, you tell him to turn on the scale, and you draw things, and it tells you exactly how long they are in the real world. Right. He's sitting there with his calculator, calculating each and every line. Pixels by, by pixel. Pixel by pixel. Oh, and this is not a, a vector drawing program. This is a pixel drawing program. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's pretty astonishing. So Visio would make that a lot easier. He won't do it. Astonishing isn't the, isn't the first word that comes to mind. Yeah, I'm thinking I don't want to be near that steam engine the first time he cranks it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, believe me, they're testing it as they go, and they've got the whole base on it, and he, they attach the steam to it, and it goes. They attach it to the space shuttle, you know, rocket science. <laughs> yeah. It's not a rocket yeah. scientist, but actually, he is a rocket he is scientist. He a rocket scientist. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked him about Werner von Braun. He said, oh, he was highly overrated. 
Yeah. Nice. Hubble. What a cheap, cheap uh, shot. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm not a rocket scientist. No. So what else about Visto is, is new and cool? And demos. We were talking about cool demos. Cool demos. Like some of the coolest things you can do that that you wouldn't necessarily think of when you think of Visual Studio Tools for Office. Well, there, of course, is all the issues of data binding because it uses WinForms data binding. Right. Yeah. So anything you want to – anything you do with WinForms, you can do with Word or Excel or PowerPoint. Those are the three that support a UI. So – you want to drag a data source like you would in visual in, on a WinForm onto a PowerPoint slide and then drop a list box because it uses managed controls too. So you can put a list box on a PowerPoint slide. I can't imagine what use that would be, mm. but you could. And um, <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me choose a theme for this slide during a presentation. Drop it you could, down. And you actually could. And uh, I've seen an example. Eric Carter, who is one of the PMs on Visto, did a really cool example at the Office Developers Conference last year where he created an Outlook form region that was hosting a custom WPF control. Hmm. Hmm. So WPF is, is the design experience for people who actually can draw, which cuts out all the rest of us. Yes. <laughs> I mean, WPF is way beyond my skills, and everything I create in WPF looks like crap. Hmm. So my theory is it's far easier in WPF to create an ugly application than it was in Windows Forms. You know, I'm, but it's uh, far harder in Windows Forms to create a nice-looking application than it is in WPF. You know, it just occurred to me, Ken, is you miss your calling. If you want to, since everything in WPF you do looks like crap, maybe you ought to write software for the sewage industry. Ah, oh, uh, please. Uh, 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 um, but that was just an excuse to get me the microphone because I have this question, which is about um, the, the stereotypical business analyst guy or manager that lives in Excel and wants everything to, you know, to work in Excel. Excel is the center of his, uni- his universe. And there are a lot of people who are like that. There are. And uh, so, obviously, Visual Studio Tools for Office is a godsend for the developer in that guy or woman's life, right? Except for one problem. What's that? So, say you have a 1,000 of those people, 995 have no understanding that Visual Studio exists, much less Visual Studio Tools for No, Office. but, you know, they walk down to the development shop and say, hey, I want to see this pie chart in Excel every morning. Do that, right? And unless those developers are Visual Studio developers, they're not going to know about these managed tools. Yeah. So we're hoping we can, someone listen to this who is an Excel developer, say, oh, look, I can write managed code now. But don't you find there's still a great fear among people who don't use managed code of taking that step into this world. I see it all the time. Do you find that? Yeah. Yep, still. Yeah, I guess you're always working on the bubble of the VBA guys and the ma- versus the managed code guys. So you're seeing that folks that just, they're frightened. The prospect of managed code, it just sounds like the computer's going to criticize you. <laughs> like, you call this managed code? <laughs> they're managed enough. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, the concept of just creating a class is way beyond what most VBA developers ever care about. Well, this, you know, to tell you the truth, when Robert Green first told me about Visual Studio Tools for Office way back in the day, that's show 43, if you're counting. Yeah, okay. Because he was a product manager on back then. That was my first inclination that, okay, VBA people are going to now all of a sudden be writing managed code and have to know about the framework. I don't think so. But, you know, he was pretty sure that that was going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but at least in this version, if you have Visual Studio, 
you got the office stuff. Well, that's good. Robert Green said to me, you know, Robert is now a business partner, but he was originally a PM on the Visual Studio Tools for Office team and then right. moved to VB over the years. Yep. I remember at a, at a VS Live conference a few years back, I guess it was about 2001, and this VB.net was new to all of us. And we're talking. I said, you know, this stuff is kind of tricky. It's all so new. And he said, yeah, you know, this really raises the bar for VB developers. Because before what does that, that mean? anybody could pick up VBA or VB6 and just get going, right? You know, you wouldn't be good, but you could do something off the bat. It raises the bar of, of being able to get to where you, you know, the bar of what, what am I trying to say? The learning curve? The learning curve it is fast is 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 steeper than it was. Right. Yeah, you have to know more to get started. Well, that's true, and and certainly, I think it's even more difficult for people who aren't VB programmers or VBA programmers, or for people who are because they have to unlearn all the stuff that they've already learned. Yeah, yeah. I, you I said that that yeah that had so that much painful pain yeah. in it. I have a good friend who who who. We, you know, we support each other. He does my IT stuff because I'm just abysmal at IT stuff. We all can't be Richard. And, yeah, uh, I, I know the feeling. And, uh, and I take help with his programming stuff. And he's just a sort of intermediate programmer. And over the weekend, he says, I'm trying to put stuff into a list box in C Sharp and then set the value by setting the selected value property of the list box. And it keeps telling me the selected item is null. Well, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about this for about a year. It's not something I think about every day. And it took me five minutes to find it again, but he never would have found it. Right. And the fact is the selected value is null unless you bound the list box to something. Mm-hmm. If you stick things in yourself, you're never going to set the value. Right. right. You set selected and index. that's not the way VB6 worked. Right. You just, yeah, you couldn't get there into that, that little corner in VB6. Right. And, and in, as an as a old developer trying to learn .NET, that's not what you would think of to solve this problem. Right. Yeah, you should have created a, a list and then bound it to the control. Right. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, Give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Fortunately, the help in .NET in general, in VBNet in particular, is much better than the help in VB6, don't you think? Oh, a bazillion times better. But imagine being frustrated and not knowing where to look. You look at the help and your eyes glaze over. I mean, I understand the feeling. That's true. Uh, and that was the case for me, too, in the, in the very beginning. Not you, Carl. No, no, true. True. <laughs> I think we all had that experience, though. You know, the first time you crack the help and, you know, it's just everything all at once. Uh, you just sort of have to take your time and sort it out. And the funny thing is, do you remember how you learned this .NET stuff? I don't remember, but it's a huge body of knowledge. I remember how I learned it. I um I signed up to do the .NET Roadshow with um, Deep Training. Oh. oh, me too, me too. Yeah, so we we basically took crash courses in it, and um 
and just got drank from the fire hose. And I just looked at a lot of examples and started writing code like crazy. And it yeah, just sort of the sunk only, in. The only hope for those of you moving from VBA, anyone happy me listening, is the only hope is to write code. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how you learn. Yeah. You really have no choice. If you don't build it, you're never going to get there. I know people that try to read examples and read articles, and the moment you read them, you say, oh, that made sense, and you forget it the second later. Yeah, so yeah. It's hopeless. I also think having a, having a project that's just slightly outside of your scope of ability, that you're, what you think is your scope of ability, is a good thing because you're always, you have a focus. You have something to work towards that is going to take you a while to get there. Yeah. I, I honestly think that's probably the, one of the keys to, to, to my understanding of the programming languages that I've learned. Yep. And I had a question for you, Carl, actually. Oh, okay. back, in the, back in the day, I remember you had played with sockets a lot. Yeah. And new in 2008 in the, visual, in the framework 3.5 is support for named pipes. Yeah. And that's something I played with back in 91, back in C++. I was writing an OS2 application Yeah, back when I was smarter. And um, have, have you got any comparison between using name pipes and using sockets to communicate between two applications? Because it's brand new in this version. No, um, I haven't. But, you know, if I was going to think about it, I would say that name pipes is just going to be faster. I think it's going to be faster but less reliable. I would guess it's not that it's faster. I think it's easier. It's just I'm like not necessarily a, sure uh, about that. I mean, sockets is your basic stream interface. You know, there's nothing really all that difficult about it. it I think it's a fear factor. Well, we're gonna have we're gonna have to investigate this because the thing I, that, I think the thing with name pipes is they're actually older than sockets. Name pipes is a Unix technology that right. predates TCP. Yeah. Yes. Been around, I mean, like I said, I used it in '91 in OS2, so it's been around a while. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and then we had mail slots. Remember mail slots? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, Back when we thought we were going to need a different protocol for every. Oh product. wait a minute! Here's one: Net DDE. Oh stop! <laughs> now I I did good work with DDE. My last big Office app, which is Office Four and VB Three. Oh man! I used DDE to automate uh, mail list generation. Welcome so, to the old farts hour. Oh man. That's yeah, old. man. So back when I started, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and the only thing I really learned from all of that was how to work with device contexts in the win 32 API. Yeah. Get DC. Win 32. I don't DC. think so. Oh, sorry. Win 16. Yeah. And I, that was, and that's when I first started admiring uh, Dan Appleman too. I mean, that's how far back that guy goes. Dude, I was I was uh, writing bitmap code in VB three to render bitmaps oh, because the picture control in VB was sixteen colors, and I wanted to do twenty four, you know, whatever million colors or two fifty six color bitmaps. How about realize palette? Remember realize palette? <laughs> you realize your palette. I love that one. Because first you have to create a palette, and you have to set it into the device context, but then it doesn't work until you realize it. Ah, uh, yes. I remember the setting the palette into the device context. Thing. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God. Well, the goal of uh, .NET for me knowledge. has been never write another API call ever again. Ever, ever again. I, uh, I found an undiscovered um, API call in the, in the documentation called Get Washington, D.C., you pass it a million dollars and it returns a pointer to a seat in Congress. Nice. I'm not even gonna. Oh man. 
The problem is Vista adds a whole bunch of new APIs, and there aren't managed interfaces to them. How about right. how about you know BitBlit, right? BitBLT. How about SplitBLT, which returns the uneaten portion of a bacon lettuce tomato sandwich? This is why we no? keep crawl around. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the show is shot to hell anyway. We might oh, as well man. just go down in flames. <laughs> but yeah, I would be interested if we were going to talk a little technology here about the impact Vista is having on all of these things. Because now the underlying security model has radically changed. Oh, sure. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, or not. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Do we want to go there? User access control. Oh, our yeah. friend or our not friend. I haven't used user access control since I installed Vista. In fact, I haven't used Vista since I've installed Vista. <laughs> well, you know, out there on the speaking circuit, I feel like you got to use Vista to sort of sort of promote the newest thing. So when you go speak, Carl, you're using Windows XP at this point. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, because it um, uh, wor- works really. And Vista works ninety-five percent of the time. I, no, it doesn't. It doesn't work for me. On all of the machines I put it on, I have problems, and most of them have to do with audio drivers. But I need audio because I can't. I have to work on shows when I go talk, yeah. And I have to have audio, and it just doesn't work for me. So there are many good things about Vista, and I'm sure once SP two comes out next year, it'll be great. We hope Won't that be SP one. SP one isn't going to cut it. Oh man. You got to get to SP2, just like on XP. XP, do you remember XP? Oh, yeah. It was a dog I remember. And I kept until reminding SP2. people when they were killing Vista. It's like, you guys remember what XP was like in the beginning? And it yeah. was awful. Yeah. Do you remember trying to get USB to work in the yeah, original XP? You're right, Richard. It was horrible. It was terrible. So next year, when SP2 comes out, Vista will be great because it is a nice operating system. I, I love it visually and user wise. I love the operating system. I just need audio. So. Okay, but as long as we're on Vista, let me just mention, to make this clear, that neither Visual Studio 2008 nor Office 2007 requires Vista. Right. Well, that's good. So people think that, because they, they, they released Office 2007 the same time as Vista, that you needed to have one to use the other. Right. And it's just not true. And, right. and you know, the bigger issue is .NET 3. .NET 3.0 was linked to, to Vista very early on by Microsoft, and... And we all went, oh, that's a mistake. But, uh, you know, the, the reality is you do not need Vista. For yeah, all three of them live independently of each other. Yeah. yeah. Not that and you there, can there, run there is .NET 3.0 on Windows 98. <laughs> well, Windows 98 is no longer supported by nothing. So. Yeah. That's right. You can't even download it from MSCN anymore. Do you know no, that? It's, it's gone. I it saved my CD ex- just in case. You want to send me a copy? <laughs> I don't think that's particularly legal, but we'll work it out. Uh, they but, should just have a download place for you know public domain. I, you know, go ahead, use it. Whatever. I dare you. I actually the only reason I I wanted it was uh, in. Oh God, this is going to date me. Okay. So I used to work at Voyatra, which was uh, is now Turtle Beach, and they made sequencing software, MIDI sequencing software for musicians. For DOS computers. Now, DOS plus musician equals nightmare, okay? So I was in tech support. But be that as it may, I had a library for uh, patches on my Korg M1 keyboard. And the keyboard BIOS battery went belly up, and I lost everything. 
So, but I have it on a disc in this particular format on a floppy disc, and I just needed the program in order to get it going. But this was DOS software. There was no such thing as a universal driver. So we had to write drivers for every kind of hardware that was out there. So I ran this in a virtual PC, which emulates the Sound Blaster, thinking that I could take a MIDI cable out of that in a virtual PC and go into my uh, uh, synthesizer and download the patches. But alas, virtual PC and VMware both do not support MIDI output devices. They will play the FM synthesizer, but they will not recognize MIDI output port. You can also try Parallels. They do some pretty amazing things. Well, the other thing I was thinking was just get a box, put Windows 98 on it, get an old Sound Blaster, and go to town. But alas, I couldn't find Windows 98 anywhere. And I had purchased it, too. So. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, I promise Microsoft they will not use Windows 98 much. Much. Yep. No, I will not. I don't like it anymore, of course. You know. Well, it's amazing how what you've gotten used to now when you go back and poke around with those old machines and the way things used to work. Try and find things. That's true. You just take so much for granted. Printing, you know, is amazing feat that you can just plug in a printer. It goes, oh, hi, and then you can just print. It's just an amazing feature. Just ask any Linux user. Right. Well, ask any Vista user. Yeah. <laughs> it works. The, the printer drivers <laughs> for Vista are terrible. The drivers in general. And I blame Hewlett Packard. Mm. And NVIDIA, too, those bastards. Hey, did I say that? <laughs> so um, we've gotten off subject, but any, any good gadgets? I mean, you know, we love talking about gadgets. Any good gadgets uh, new? Oh, uh, yeah. The vertical mouse. Oh, yes. You like the wrists. vertical mouse thing, huh? I love the vertical mouse. I no longer have uh, tarpal cunnel syndrome or whatever the heck that's called. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> carpal tunnel that one yeah 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 that's what i said tarpal tunnel okay uh okay. my latest uh 10 one terabyte hard drives oh did they come in richard yeah they came in you bought 10 of them in a, in a raid or something or i'm gonna put them into two raid arrays because they know you just can't have too much disk space well, I had fallen in love with the ReadyNAS device from Infrant Technologies. Oh, yes. Which is a really cool toaster-sized four-hard drive RAID for backup. It was great. It was my network storage and my backup. It has a USB port. You plug a USB drive and it push a button. It backs up what you want to your USB drive. Unfortunately, I stored it in my garage for the last year and a year. Uh-oh. And last week, it just started puttering, just sputtering down. I oh, took man. the drives out, and along with the drives came at least a tablespoon of dust. Oh. <laughs> Thinking the garage was not a good place for this ReadyNAS drive. Oh, Unfortunately, man. they were purchased by Netgear a month or so ago. Right, right. Ago. And trying to get support from Netgear, you might as well just cut your arm off and, like, throw it in the trash. I mean, it's just as useful <laughs> as that. Yeah, there's a lot of products that sort of go that way. I, I usually, it ends up being Computer Associates buying it. I've come to the conclusion that Computer Associates is really the place that software goes to die. Yeah, for a while it was Borland because they bought a bunch of products and killed them too. Oh, yeah. man, this is the, you know, they're going to play this at my trial, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the other one was Slingbox. Love the Slingbox bought I heard... by Echo Star. Oh, my goodness. And that's the end of that. Really? That. Really? They'll probably they'll probably put software in it that makes it not worth to work with Directv 
and there will where we be. The thing about Slingbox is that it doesn't record, does it? It's not like a full DVR. It's just a, a it broadcaster. Not meant to be. It's just, just a broadcaster. Yeah, but now they actually have uh, HDMI, full HDTV recording boxes in cards for for uh, for Windows now. Yes, they do. Yeah. But this is a totally different purpose. Slingbox is a totally different reason for. Oh, I know that, but I mean, some of these, some of these uh, boxes that do that do the DVR stuff will also allow you to access your TV from the internet, as Slingbox does. Oh, I'm sure they do. Sure, but Slingbox is easy for consumers to set up, and it doesn't require a new yeah. PC. Yeah, yeah, it's got the uh, what is it the the first thing that came out there. Richard, help me out here. TiVo. Yeah, it's got the TiVo factor going for it. It does, and it, it works great. It just, I mean, because I don't have a TV in my office, but I want to watch TV sometimes, just stream it over my network and watch it from the TiVo right, now, in my office. Now now I really feel like an old man sitting around the general store complaining, but <clears throat> <laughs> is it me, or is there really not a lot of good stuff on TV these days? Not a whole I think, lot. I think there's a lot of great stuff. You guys are just missing the good shows. So uh, what? like what? Does anyone want to listen to this? No one's going to listen to this. Sure. Okay. For intelligent folks, uh, uh, on AMC, Mad Men was a great series about uh, Madison Avenue um, advertising people in the 60s. Oh, okay. There was a show on FX called Damages, which was a totally guilty pleasure, but we loved it, about uh, an evil lawyer. And there's, I mean, The Wire on HBO was a great show. Hmm. Yep, all all of these cable plus channels—they're the ones making the TV worth watching. Yeah, sit, sitcoms on on the network channels you can't watch. No, no. In reality TV, I ho- it sort of seems like it's dying down a little bit. We it have is to not. hope. It's, it, it, I mean, if you look at the TV schedule, I'm guessing eighty percent is reality shows. You know what reality shows are, right? They're a way that companies can uh, get actors without actually paying for them. And without having to pay writers. That's without having to pay writers. They don't have to pay actors. They just, here, <laughs> sign this waiver, and uh, you say this, and you do this. Here's the situation. Go. Well, all I can say is I, I am addicted to television. I enjoy long serial dramas, and we watch a lot of TV, and we have never watched, never once, not even for a minute, watched a reality show. There's a lot of stuff on if you just have a TiVo or, or something. Mm. Now, I find it interesting that you're just using the sling box to distribute TV within your home. You're not yeah. trying to watch TV while you're on the road. No, hmm. I've gotten to the point now where I just, is this legal? I rip DVDs to my hard drive and just carry a bunch on the hard drive. Well, it ought to be legal. It ought to be legal. You it's paid for legal, it. It's not legal, but I do it anyway. You paid right. for it. Come it's on. my own personal use. I never distribute them, so. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to tell you my guiltiest pleasure. I wrote, I mentioned this in an article for Code Magazine recently. My guiltiest pleasure is I have been working my way through, and I'm going to, I'm going to admit this in front of many people, <laughs> The Gilmore Girls. It was oh, a great no. show. I don't even know you. It is Who not a trick you? show. It is excellent writing, excellent adding, and the fact that they're very pretty doesn't hurt. <laughs> So. Oh, I'm sorry, man. You just you <laughs> just, just give totally it a try. blew that show my. Is great. You know, sorry. you blew my whole image of Ken Getz, the I know, smart guy. So totally, you know, the, so totally out of character. The hip kind of new technology developer guy. Oh man, the Gilmore Girls. This is going to come back, and, and but you see, I bet you've never watched it. Bet you never have. Didn't need to. There you go. See, but if you had, you might like it. You just never know. <laughs> 
All right, guys. Look, let's let's have one last line on VSTO. The current okay. version, which is free and it's out there right now, shipped November of two thousand six. Next one up is for two thousand eight. Do we know when it's going to come out? I guess it's in Studio Eight, right? It's in there. There, there is not going to be another separate SKU for Visual Studio Tools for Office. It's in Visual Studio two thousand eight. So that's so it. It's free as it needs to be because you had to have Visual Studio anyway to use it. Right. So now it comes with Visual Studio. Completely. They've done some amazing things for 2008. And uh, it's, just, it's an excellent product. And if you're currently writing code for Office applications, either 2000... Wait, I never even mentioned that in 2008, it still allows you to create add-ins and document-level customizations for Office 2003 applications as well. Huh. Wow. Wow. So you don't have to have Office 2007 to make use of it. And of course, it's, it's really confusing. That's and all. of course, having everything in one box means that you can use uh, Office applications with Workflow, with Communications Foundations, with WPF, with uh, Silverlight, with all that stuff, right? Right. And since since you can host managed controls on these app on Word, Excel, or PowerPoint, what's to keep you from putting a WPF control or well, yeah. a Silverlight application on those on those applications? Sure. Sure. We finally hit the world of Office making it as a development platform. You can rewrite Excel as a WPF application if you really want to. So, hey, there's a, a project years, for you. A few you. years ago, we were at a conference, an Office conference, and uh, one of the VPs for Office, maybe the, the lead VP, was there sort of chatting with the speakers. And a, a cantankerous co-author of mine, whose name will be unmentioned, <laughs> um, was talking to him, and, and the VP says, so... If we could, if you could have anything at all happen with Office, what change would you want? And my co-author, who happens to live in Seattle, uh, we will go unnamed, um, says, you need, to re- you need to rewrite Excel as a managed application. <laughs> rewrite and the Excel? VP looks at my ex-co-author. Who happens says, to have no hair. Uh, no, no, no comment. And, <laughs> and um, says, do you know how many millions of lines of code are in Excel that no, well, and a large portion that no one has looked at since 1987? <laughs> he, he didn't say that. That was my interpolation. But he did say, you know how many millions of lines of code there are? This is, this is person decades to rewrite. Yeah. So Excel is not going to come out as a WPF application, believe me. Yeah. Never going to happen. Not, not, not with this functionality anyway. No. Huh. But it doesn't need to. No, yeah, you're right, and it, it works. Because common interop with managed code works so well, and yep. they got that pretty well down pat at this point. Yep, I yeah, agree. that's why common interrupt's never going to go away because of Office, or because of the Windows itself, unless they rewrite Windows from scratch. Yeah, it's isn't that what Vista APIs was supposed everywhere. to? <laughs> so no. Okay. Enough of are that. You done, are you done with me? Yeah, I think so. Are you done with us? No, I have more questions for each of you since I haven't talked to you in a long time. But all right, uh, welcome to uh, Ken Gets Rocks. Uh, his guest <laughs> today is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. <laughs> Take it away, Ken. <laughs> I'm done. I got to go play sure? the piano. Sure. One more question. Come on, I'll answer anything you want. I can't remember what I was going to ask you. Oh, I know what it was, but this is really off topic. We're done. No, We're done. Been playing with electronic. Listen, hang it. You can, you can stop listening. I bought right an electric now. piano. For this show, as a matter of fact. Okay. And it has a MIDI interface. And so I can, you know, from the computer, I can control the various sounds of the piano and use those sounds. But there's no interface for, like, actually pushing settings onto the piano. 
So, I, for example, I, need, I have 113 different patches I have to use in this show that mm-hmm. I'm playing tonight. Mm-hmm. And it only stores 28 in memory at a time. No, that's not true. It is true. They have 28 registrations, I mean, saved patches. I mean, they have 300 built in, but I need them in the order I need them in combinations I need them in. Oh. And they only store 28 registrations at a time. Huh. And so to switch registrations from one group of 28 to the next is seven keystrokes. And when songs go bing, bang, boom, and I don't have time to do that between them, I get flustered. It'd be so cool if there was a programmatic way to have a computer sit there and push the next registration in. As a matter of fact, there is. And what is that? So if you download Carl's MIDI tools from franklins.net slash .net tools and utilities, or extras, I think it is now. Uh, there's a, I wrote a managed code wrapper for MIDI devices where you can do program changes and uh, transpose and do all sorts of great stuff. And um, if that doesn't do enough to send program changes, then you can what, – what there's, a, there's a part of the MIDI spec called system-exclusive data. And unfortunately, I don't have code for this, but you can use any sort of MIDI program to download the entire guts of that synthesizer, all, this, all the metadata, including all the patches – and store it as a file. And then you can load that file back up and do a sysx transfer back to it. And that will restore any of the patches That's that exactly uh, you need. That's exactly what I need. Unfortunately, it's for this show, but next time, I would need that. I, and I'll go, I'll go look at your tools. Sound, it sounds like the application I was trying to use just didn't have your code in it already. Well, my code just does program changes. It doesn't do system-exclusive transfers. The program changes would be exactly what I would need. The program changes are exactly what you need, yeah. Patch okay, well, changes. No, uh, it's too late now for this show, but next time we'll see. And speaking of MIDI and speaking of pianos, yesterday they wheeled in a six-foot Yamaha Baby Grand G3 with a full MIDI implementation in it, meaning a player, recorder, and you can use it as a MIDI external MIDI controller, or it has a MIDI input too. So I could, I could record a performance with audio, but I could also record it on a sequencer and then tweak the in a sequencer, take out the bad notes, line up the notes that are out of time, and play it back through the piano, and the keys actually move and record it. Wow. Yeah. I, I have to actually play the notes myself. Yeah. Well, you play them once, but if you mess up, you know, it's easier to edit MIDI data than it is to edit audio yeah, when, you're, when you've got a piano, you know? Yeah. This is cool. I'm, I'm, we mentioned chatting more. I'm sure offline we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I thank you for the opportunity to blab on about Visto, which is a product that I really have spent a lot of time with and like a lot. So hopefully someone else will pick it up. It does sound very good, especially in this next version. Um, can't wait to start messing with it. I hope you do. All right. Ken Getz, thank you very much. Thank you. It was a fun show, and I hope the listeners enjoyed it. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter 
and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a time.